go to a service together. I planned for that, and now I got to preach. Whew. One of y'all's phone. <laughs> Whew, but thank you guys. Appreciate that big time. Steph, you got anything you want to share? <laughs> all I could think is all the poop. Yeah, I can say. You can, you can start the podcast after that. <laughs> but, yeah, so Steph and I, this time next week, we'll be flying into Delhi. Um, and that'll be awesome. You guys can keep praying. But what that means for you guys is that you guys are in for a treat these next four weeks. I don't know if you guys know, but uh, I follow the NBA, and they're about to have their all-star weekend, which means just all their stars are uh, about to play in a big game together. And so here, City Life Suffolk, you're about to have what we'll just call all-star weekends because you're going to have some of four of City Life's finest preaching over the next four weeks. We're talking David Godwin, the youth pastor poet who has taken the reins with RC and, and run over this past year plus. We're talking Shaney Miller, who preached a couple weekends ago at Newport News and just totally destroyed everything, faces were melted. It was, it was awesome. Um, she's going to preach that same sermon here, so come with some expectation. The week after that, Steve Rogerio, who... Uh, He's got more degrees than like Fahrenheit and Celsius combined. He's not only brilliant, though, but he has a heart for God and a heart for people to match. And then lastly, we've got our very own Anthony Hiltz, who, come on, drops so much wisdom and gems for our men. But what's the hashtag always for base camp? It's like dudes only, right? So ladies and gentlemen will get to uh, enjoy the wisdom that he shares so regularly. So those are some things you can look forward to. As we look forward to next week, we'll be back what is it, the 8th or 9th of March, leaving Indy on the 8th. We'll be back on the 9th, but uh, you guys are in for a treat. Just don't want you guys to think, oh, what's going to happen? You guys are going to have some awesome weekends, and I'm, I'm kind of salty. I'm going to miss them, so maybe I'll find a way to podcast them on the plane back, right? But what I love about these faces, and honestly, this isn't to, to glorify the pulpit. I love the faces on Praxis. I love the faces that do Kid Life and SLT. But when you're in a part of a, of a church where people have vibrant relationships with God, it's easier to take giant steps of faith because you're surrounded by people who are constantly walking in faith, that are holding on to faith in spite of crazy circumstances or people that are taking giant leaps of faith of their own. So, man, I can tell you just to step into the adoption was powerful because I looked around the church and I saw people who were walking in faith day in and day out. And I see God active in your lives. And I'm like, man, God's got us. So I just want to thank you guys for your walks and surrounding Steph and I with, with so much genuine faith. But that's not to say it's all been easy. One of my favorite artists, he once said that the, the faith walk is not for the faint-hearted. He goes on to say, I'd be lying if I said it isn't hard. I mean, can you relate to that? There's times where I'd be lying if I said, yeah, the faith walk is, is always easy, right? There's times where it weighs on us. There's times where it feels weighty, like we're carrying a weight. And what's beautiful is that Jesus can relate to that, right? He endured the cross for us. But not only can he transcend it and relate to us, but he also, he, through his word and through his own words, he gives us invitations to respond to when life feels weighty. And the first is what I was just talking about. It says in Hebrews 10, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Thanks for the diapers. <laughs> not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on. Come on. Shameless plug for Discovering City Life tonight. We want you to find a home church if you don't have a home church. And if it's not here, after that meeting, we can help you find somewhere. Because God has a family of faith for you where you can get rooted and find ways to be spurred on and spur others on in the walk of faith we're all called to. But, man, 
again, just being surrounded by this family of faith since the day I gave my life to Christ back when I was 21. Started going to Christian Life Center and then was a part of that group that went to Newport News. It's, it's grown me, it's stretched me, and it's got me where I am today. So find a family of faith, right? But as much as watching other people walk out their faith has been helpful, just as helpful has been hitting my own knees in prayer. I can remember four years ago when we were about to start the adoption process, you don't just jump into that without some prayer, right? <laughs> Four years, $40,000, that's a big deal. And I remember being in the NRBC sanctuary and Oceans was playing. We're still playing Oceans four years later. But I remember that was playing in the background as I was praying. And, and it says, come on, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk on the waters. We're not going to be walking on water next week. We're going to be flying over the waters. But it almost feels like it's, it's that big of a step of faith. And again, it hasn't always been easy. I know your walk of faith, what God's called you to in your life, maybe what you're walking through right now, again, it's not always easy and sometimes it feels weighty, but that's why there's a second invitation I want to hit on real quick. We've, we've shared this more recently, but in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I love the message version of that passage. I'm going to read it real quick. It says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Come on, all that is, is just an introduction tonight, but it's from this thought, this idea of, of God's burden, which is light, which he gives to us, that I want to look at. Uh, it's Acts chapter 10, specifically verses 19 through 23. And it's Acts chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. And as, as we turn there, just a little background. This is right after uh, maybe you've read about it, maybe you haven't, but, but Peter has this dream, this vision as he's on the, the roof in this city called Joppa, this port city. And, and he sees three times this sheet drop down with what were deemed unclean animals. And, and God says some beautiful words here. He says, rise, kill, and eat, <laughs> right? And then Peter says, you know, they're unclean. I would never eat that. And that was more than just some, some habits they had. That was a part of their identity uh, as a people that, that he wouldn't eat. Of that, And then God says to him, hey, don't call unclean or common what God has called clean. And if that confuses you, then you're in good company. Because right here in verse 19, it says, Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night, and the next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. So here we are with Peter. People aren't getting sent out to walk on water, but again, he's in this city called Joppa, this busy port city full of busy ships. And it's here that I want to pause and just, Look at Joppa. If you look at your Bible, you look throughout it, you see Joppa referenced a couple times. You see Solomon when he's building his temple and when he's building his own palace. This 
the city through which he imports the supplies needed. It's mentioned as, as well in Ezra as a place of import. But what does any of this have to do with Matthew 11 and the invitation Jesus gives us? Well, the burden Jesus speaks of, the burden Jesus gifts us is weighty, but it's a weight we were built to carry. The word burden in the Greek that Jesus uses, it speaks to the cargo of a sailing vessel. You know, a sailing vessel, it needs the proper weight, the, the proper burden in order for it to reach the speeds it needs to reach, in order for it to sail effectively. Too heavy, if the ship's too heavy, I think we're familiar with that, right? It sinks. It takes on water. You throw stuff overboard. Many of us, though, when you talk spiritually, too heavy, walking under the weight of sin and shame, the process by which we're burdened by meaninglessness, brokenness, or maybe at times despair. But you know, some people in, in the church, and Steph almost hit on this in worship, uh, we overburden ourselves out of this motive to somehow earn God's love, somehow to tip the scales that have been toppled by sin. It's the impossible weight of self-righteousness. It's a fool's errand, like the Beatles said. <laughs> What is it? Boy, you're going to carry that weight, carry that weight a long time. It's a, it's a fool's errand. That's why Jesus' invitation to the overloaded, the weary and burdened is so powerful. He carried the cross so we don't have to carry the overburdened weight of guilt, shame, and the weights that hindered. He provided a solution of salvation for the overburdened. But he also, also invites the drifting, the disconnected, because what's powerful is if a ship is too light, if it doesn't have weight in it, if it's not carrying anything, then it gets tossed about. It drifts. That, too, is dangerous. It can't make full sail or go full speed. You know, Jesus, in, in Matthew, he gives the parable of the vineyard, how, how the, the master of the vineyard brings workers in throughout the day, and it's getting late in the day, and there's these drifters just standing around. And when the, the vineyard owner asks them, hey, why aren't you guys working? They say, well, nobody's hired us. You know, there are those in this life who are drifting, who haven't received the purpose God has for them. So we drift from one passion to the next, trying to fill a void with one pursuit to the next. But God says, let me give you the gift of purpose, the gift of a burden. You know, you go to places in the South for instance, Georgia, I know some of those coastline cities, there's, there's roads, there's sidewalks, there's paths that are paved with light and dark stones. And you might think, well, where do these stones come from? Why, why are these stones here? But when European sailing ships, when they travel to America with no cargo to speak of, they load up on these stones to get the appropriate weight, to get the most effective weight so that they could sail well on their trip to America. Again, we were created to carry a weight. And if we don't find God's purpose for our lives, then we'll find stones. You know, things that seem like meaningful investments, passions and pursuits, often good things, relationships, romantic or otherwise, education and the pursuit of degrees, careers and the work of our hands, building a family with a couple cars and a fenced-in yard. Again, nothing bad, but nothing that gives eternal fulfillment. We get something better than stones and filler. Come on, we get God's glory. Paul speaks in Colossians 1 of the weight, or excuse me, speaks of Christ in you, the hope of glory. But you know, glory in Hebrew, Paul writes this in Greek, but glory in Hebrew literally speaks to a weight or a heaviness. You know, we're called to glorify God, and that's something, a calling in life that we carry. That's life, right? We get the grace, God gets the glory. 
We receive the grace. God receives the glory. And, and like the cargo of a ship, there's a weight to this calling. There's a weight to it. And we're called to a calling and a purpose, whether we heed it or realize it or not. But if you aren't willing to leave port, then you can say goodbye to walking in purpose. So often we sing, you know, call me out onto the water. But we love to hang out in port where it's comfortable and we're in our comfort zone. But the church, the kingdom of God, it's a lot like Joppa. It's a lot like a port city. Because ships come to ports to get patched up, to get repaired, to get the oil changed or whatever you do to a ship. And then they go back out and they get sent back out for their next commission. And in the same way in the church, there's times of training, there's times of huddling together under teaching, times for waiting on the Lord and pursuing the Lord. There's a time for preparation. But from the great commission and the initiation of the church until now, it's always been sent. A people reconciled to God, sent out to other people. And again, we're often a church that sings, call me out upon the waters. We're a church that says, take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. But we love to stay in port. Parked where it's comfortable and light. But at a port, again, there's always ships, always ships being sent. And for that ship, that's not an interruption. That's an invitation to go and, and do what it was built for. In the same way for us, when God calls us to the Great Commission, he calls us to the pathway of reaching. That's, that's not an interruption for us. It's something we've been called to and built for. It's the work that he prepared in advance for us to do, as it says in Ephesians 2.10. Again, we talked last week how so often in the church we can get this perspective that reaching people happens at the church rather than through the church. But come on, we're called to be big enough for both, right? We invite people in, but then we go out. We so often focus on the bringing people in, but the world is desperate for us to go out, whether it's the neighborhood we're in, whether it's the Dominican Republic or the other side of the world in India. May we have a faith that's big enough for both. Inviting, but then going. Come meet God, but then go out and reach the world. But our call to go, we've said it before, our call to go isn't always a call to leave. You look at Peter in Acts chapter 10. He didn't go to the other side of the world. He went a couple dozen miles up the street to Caesarea. Sounds like an old little Caesar's pizzeria. But it's a, it was the capital, the Roman capital in Palestine. And it was a couple dozen miles away. And sure, I, Steph and I, we feel sent to India. We're going to go all the way across the globe to start our family and, and, and get our son and meet him and bring him home. But we feel called long term to this region. And you can never get it twisted. Just because God doesn't ask you to change your zip code, it doesn't mean that he hasn't sent you. You know, I might spend my whole life in the same zip code, but God has called me and sent me and commissioned me to go out and reach people. Many of us, though, we're sitting at Joppa this evening. Like the people in the parable of the vineyard, we have a job opportunity. Or tonight, if you're taking notes, you can just put, I have a Joppa opportunity. Because we've got our job description. We've got our marching orders our great commission, and God is waiting for a response. And you know, Acts, in Acts chapter 10, this isn't the first time we see the port of Joppa in the Bible with a prominent character. Who, who knows in the Old Testament, does anybody know the, the character that went through the port of Joppa in his story? Jonah. Correct, sir. I don't have anything for you. I got to start bringing just gift cards and prizes, but yes, it's Jonah. Jonah's noteworthy, right, because he was swallowed by the fish the whale, the megalodon, whatever it was, that spat him up after three days. That's what he's remembered for. Even Jesus makes reference of that. But what's crazy is his book is in the middle of all these prophetic books, all these prophecies. 
And yet Jonah is mostly action. He only speaks eight words of prophecy in this book, and it's because he spends most of the book not running to his amazing calling, but running from this burden, running from his purpose, and running from the call of God. And why? Well, I think part of it is the setting he was coming from. Now, Jonah was a, was a part of Israel in a very prosperous time. King Jeroboam II was second only to Solomon when it talks about the richest periods in Israel's history. The, king, the country, the kingdom, it was loaded. It was richly blessed. And they actually grew the borders of the nation through the prophecies of Jonah and God's word spoken through Jonah. So Jonah was like a local legend. He was probably living it up. He had a cushy and comfortable life in the middle of a successful country. But you live long enough. You realize that God cares more about our contribution than our comfort. And it's in this setting that the word of God came to Jonah. And it was a wake-up call. Because what sets Jonah apart as well is that in the, in the prophecies of the Old Testament, they were written to God's people, to Israel, to Judah. But Jonah is called to the heathens, the pagans, the Ninevites. So often, we're cool when it comes to talking about Jesus with our church family, our family of faith, other believers, people that think like we do. But when we're called to the equivalent of the Ninevites, what's our response? Too often we pull a Jonah and shirk that call and run the other way. But Jonah is this reminder that we see in the Old Testament that points forward to Jesus that, that Operation Israel was too small for God. The book of Jonah prefigures Jesus in many ways, and again, he makes reference of Jonah, but it points to the fact, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 49, verse 6 in the message version, he says, God says, that's not big enough a job for my servant just to recover the tribes of Jacob, merely to round up the strays of Israel. I'm setting you up as a light for the nations so that my salvation becomes global. You know, the Israelites' chief concern in the Old Testament so often was themselves. And the chief concern of the religious leaders in Jesus' time so often was themselves. But God is saying here, it's too small a thing to simply give yourselves to your people, to your church, the, the four walls that form your comfort zone. We'll say it again. If your faith is solely inward focused, it's out of focus. We talked last week about the priestly blessing in number six and how it's quoted in Psalm 67, verses one through two. And in case we have any inclination about making God's blessing towards us inclusive, it says here, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. This is quoting that priestly blessing. And then it says, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. As we hit on last week, God's blessing is missional. And if we're a church that's going to go on mission, there needs to be a point in our lives where we get uncomfortable with our comfort level. When we look at our comfort level and we think, that actually makes me uncomfortable because I know if I'm walking in the purpose and calling God has for me, that there's going to be a weight to it. It's going to stretch me, but I'm going to be able to walk in what he's put before me. Like Jonah, who was no doubt living it up with his fellow Israelites, we can become so in touch with our comfort that we become out of touch with our calling. So in touch with our comfort that we lose touch with our purpose and calling that God's given to us. Jesus was the complete opposite. We read in Hebrews 12 that he was so in touch with his calling, the joy set before him, that he was out of touch with the discomfort of the cross, that he forsook its shame and its pain. And when we lose touch with our calling, God will sometimes reconnect it for us. He sends Jonah this storm 
And Jonah gets tossed overboard, and this is where we get familiar. This is where the, the flannel board storyline begins for us in Sunday school, right? He is swallowed by the fish. And I love that it says in the Bible that God provided it. Not the provision I would have scripted. I would have liked the angelic version of, like, Aquaman. Why couldn't he come and just swoop me up, carry me to the, the, the beach and do it in three hours rather than in the belly of a fish for three days? Right? Why, would, why would that be the script? And yet even that is God's grace. Even that is God's grace. And then we see at the very beginning of chapter 3 in Jonah, my favorite verse in the entire book by far, where it says that God, the Lord, spoke to Jonah a second time. He spoke to Jonah, called Jonah a second time. You know, it's powerful and meaningful for those tonight who, like I did, avoided the call of God in the past, said no to the cargo that God wanted to place in us, and either went the other direction or tried to hit pause on it. But you know what? God's still calling. He still calls us. You know, I've been reading parenting books like crazy, literally like crazy. Yeah, we thought we had a timeline of May to August. Now I've like got a week to read everything I want to read and absorb everything I want to absorb. I thought I was going to be able to sip and savor it and let it all marinate and, and, and journal it deep. No, I'm like Kobayashi eating hot dogs. I'm like just throwing down on, on these books, like trying to just get it all in before we go to India. But among many things I've read about, I've been reading The Connected Child. It talks about the, the redo when you see misbehavior. How many of you guys do redos or do-overs, right? It gives your child the opportunity to immediately practice better behavior and build their self-esteem. It replaces misbehavior with correct behavior in your child's memory banks. It helps a child feel successful rather than a failure because they can redo it and do it well. You know, I read all these books because I want to be a good father, right? But we serve a good, good father, the, the God that we worship. And he's a God of grace. And thank God he does reduce. <laughs> thank God he gives second calls, third chances, that he calls us, he speaks to us a second time. My life is where it is now because he called me a second time, a third time, a fourth time. His grace was persistent when sin was persistent in my life. And if you've missed the mark, guess what? God's still calling. If you said no before, guess what? God's still calling. If you've wandered and you've drifted, guess what? God's still calling. He's still calling, and he can still work all things for good. You know, another powerful part of Jonah is, is we see, how many of you guys have heard somebody say, God could turn your mess into your message, or what, how is it said? T.D. Jake said it, now everybody says it, right? He can take your mess and turn it into a message. But in Jonah's life, we, we see this. I don't think it gets any messier than being in the belly of a fish for three days. You might be able to agree on that. But then we see how God works that to his benefit. That's why I love digging into the word and study it for a living. Because the Ninevites, they worshipped a fish god named Dagon. Archaeologists have found sculptures and depictions of him. He's like a reverse mermaid. Got a, the body of a human, the head of a fish. That's who they worshipped. And yet Jonah comes out of the belly of a fish, smelling like a fish, coming right out the beach, looking like Aquaman. And he brings the message that God had given him. God graciously used the whole mess he had been in to set him up to give the message he was going to give. And I think it's a partial explanation to why the, the Ninevites, they listened immediately. There, there's no, oh, let me think about it. They respond, they repent. And you, we might think, man, Jonah must have been some kind of preacher. <laughs> he must have been T.D. Jakes himself. But he says eight words. He says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. God was simply 
working all things for good in his story, in his testimony. He can use the script of your past and incorporate it into your calling because he's sovereign and he, he wants to use us. And even in spite of Jonah failing again and again, God called him again, spoke to him a second time, and he still uses him. And again, Peter is the second character we see in the Bible working his way through Joppa. And he too had failed. We're probably familiar with that in the Gospels where he denies Christ three times after his arrest. But God never gave up or abandoned Jonah when he backslid. God never gave up on Peter. He built the church through a reformed, repentant backslider, Peter. Jonah was spat up by a fish after three days and called a second time. Peter was restored when Jesus asked him three times, do you love me, and gave him a second chance and called him yet again. Jonah got a second calling when he had fled through Joppa. And Peter got a second calling when he was led through a vision at Joppa. It's powerful because Peter was given the keys to the kingdom by Jesus, and he opens the important door for the gospel, opening the door for Gentiles, non-Jews, to respond. Jonah had a similar task in the Old Testament to go out and bring the prophecy of God, the word that God had given him to the Ninevites. But Jonah didn't just dodge the call because he was lazy. See, I used to think that because he goes in the ship and he takes a nap. I'm like, he's just lazy as a dog, right? But he dodged his call not because he was lazy, but because he was prejudiced. The Ninevites were some nasty Palestinians. I say nasty for a reason. They were barbaric. They tortured their enemies, and they'd killed plenty of Israelites over centuries. And Jonah didn't dodge the calling because he didn't think God could reach them. He dodged the calling because he knew God would reach them. <laughs> he dodged the calling because he didn't want God to reach them. God has mercy on the Ninevites. And what does Jonah say in chapter 4? He says, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away. See, he saw them as his enemy and not his neighbor. This whole divide we talk about again and again in our culture, this us versus them, when God calls us to us for them. It's the picture he gives us through the cross. Jonah saw them as not worthy of God's grace, the same grace that he enjoyed. Why? Because they were a different people, a people that had wounded his. Jonah shows that you can be a prophet used by God and yet still carry prejudice in your heart. Peter's no different. He shows us you can be a core, foundational leader of the church and still carry prejudice and bias. When he finally gets to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, he says, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this, or to associate with you. That sounds like some Jim Crow mess. He says, but God has shown me I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. But even with Peter, God had to show him the same vision three times. And then had guys knock on the door immediately afterwards to get through to him and shift his paradigm and his way of thinking. That's when he finally began to get it. And that's why prejudice and racism, they're so insidious because so often they're unseen. Or more so in the church, they're unaddressed. But we can't ignore the, the biases. We can't ignore the prejudices that are prevalent in our culture and sometimes present in our own hearts. Prejudice and biases we see in Peter and in Jonah are sometimes the most stubborn strongholds in a believer's life and sometimes the last to go. I got a good friend, Jack Gaines. He's a local pastor. He actually came here during the Race and Politics series we were in. He wrote a book on racial reconciliation, powerful book. And uh, he, he's gone on to share this following story publicly. I'm not doing it to put him on blast. He'll share it with you at a moment's notice. But he writes this book about racial reconciliation. And after that, he was just praying. And God just shared with him, you know, you're prejudiced, right? You know, you still have racist tendencies, right? 
And Jack in this moment of prayer was, what are you talking about? But Jack was one of the first African-American baseball players in Major League Baseball, one of the first to play for the Red Sox. So when he watches football, his natural inclination, if there's two quarterbacks and one is white and one is black, is to root for the black quarterback because it's just all he went through and all he knows they walked through. And maybe we hear that and we think, is that a big deal? But for him, it was God just showing him again that we're all works in progress in this area. None of us has figure, have figured it out. You know, the man or woman that says they don't have any bias, we don't have any prejudice, usually is the one with the most because that means it's sitting right in their blind spot. You know, Jonah was called to the Ninevites. Peter was called to Cornelius, a Roman centurion. What does that mean? It means he was in charge of 100 Roman soldiers. Now, usually Roman soldiers were the ones oppressing Peter's people. Cornelius lived it again in, in Caesarea, the center of Roman administration in Palestine. It served as a showpiece for Roman culture. And it was a Roman culture, a Roman government that the Jews hated, and for reason. Later in 66 AD, there was a Jewish revolt, and the Romans wiped out all 22,000 people that lived in the city, killed them all. So a man leading 100 Roman soldiers living in Caesarea would have been a touchy target. And we can understand why Peter would have had plenty of pause when God calls him to Cornelius' home. But he, unlike Jonah, as he sits in Joppa, he's obedient and he's responsive. And why did he respond in the right way when Jonah didn't? I just believe he had a, a heart that was fertile to overcome prejudice because he had a perspective we should endeavor to adopt. Excuse me. Because, again, we're so familiar with Peter's story where he had denied Christ three times. No doubt, it says he wept bitterly. In that moment, he probably felt disqualified, probably felt like the least of the least. Yet Jesus restored him. And no doubt he came to the full important realization that we all have to overcome and realize in order to overcome prejudice and bias. And that's that I'm significant and useful to God, not because of any merit of my own, but solely because of the mercy of God. When I'm saved by grace, it should be impossible for me to look down on anyone else when I'm on my knees at the cross. But when we aren't secure in the work of the cross, when we aren't secure in the work Jesus has done, we need something to make us feel secure. One thing we often turn to is, is a feeling of superiority. But to one who understands the grace of God, that position should be impossible. You know, prejudice and racism, they're not caused by seeing physical differences. And the, the solution isn't to be colorblind. I can point to a dozen times in Scripture where God sees color, the, the people see color. Prejudice and racism are caused by establishing one group as the norm and another group as the other. In the Bible, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Romans, Jews and Ninevites. And you might think, well, we're past that. But not even the ones who are at the forefront of God's kingdom in the Bible had it dialed in. And looking around at the makeup of our church today and our churches today, we, we still have work to do. But we should be passionate about this work. We should be passionate about our calling. We should be passionate about our burden, whatever mountain God's called us to take, and our great commission. Because the one who is shared in God's grace should be looking, to, looking out to share that grace. When we share in God's grace, the, the natural response that we look out, again, we look up to God and we look around us, we look out to the work that has to be done. So we sit at Joppa, and we're all in life either going to be a Peter or we're going to be a Jonah. You're either running towards God's calling in your life or you're running away from it. How do you know 
which direction you're headed. Are you pointing your light into darkness? Those who need it, regardless of what they look like, or are you turned inward towards like-minded people in yourself? Because light, our light was meant to shine into darkness. Our love is called to love not just God, but to love our neighbor. C.S. Lewis has this powerful quote. He says, it may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter, but it's hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. Peter learned the lesson that C.S. Lewis would go on to talk about, that there's no ordinary people. Every person we walk past, again, has this hope of glory, this idea that there is an eternity, an eternal plan that God has for them. We shouldn't look down on anyone, and we should share grace with everyone. And in the family of faith, stand shoulder to shoulder with people of a different gender, people of different backgrounds, people of different colors. Paul echoes this lesson. Galatians 3, 26 and 28, he says, you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then the other lesson he brings us in that same letter brings us full circle tonight because it's about our cargo and it's about our calling. Galatians 6, 2, Paul says in the King James Version, bear ye another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But then just verses later, Galatians 6, 5, it seems like he contradicts himself because he says, every man shall bear his own burden. Bear you one another's burden, and yet verses later, every man shall bear his own burden. It's one of those moments that we should pause. All right, what's going on here? Now, in the Greek, he uses two very different words in verse 2 and verse 5. They're related, but they're different because in verse 2, it speaks to an overloaded ship. The burden is too great for it to carry. In verse 5, it speaks to the normal load. Again, the burden that a ship is made to carry that enables it to function as it was created to function. What we see is, is when we see people carrying a weight that's too much or that they weren't intended to carry, come on, we should have hearts that come to their side and share God's grace. When we experience God's grace, though, we're called to pick up a calling. We're called to bear our burden. There's a calling and a purpose in life. But you know what? It keeps us from drifting. It keeps us from passions and pursuits that aren't of God. It locks us into his calling and purpose in life. You know, this is a, a very personal sermon for me because, again, I was Jonah. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a church where there was prophecy. People prophesied over me that I would be a leader. People prophesied over me that I would preach, and I was terrified of public speaking. Maybe that's why in my teenage years I, I ran from those things for a decade. It wasn't until I was 21 that I finally, God crossed paths again, and, and those seeds that were planted took root, and I submitted to him as Lord. At 21, that I finally responded in faith. You know, thank God that he's a God that, that speaks to us a second time, speaks to us a 20th time, a fourth time, a fifth time, whatever it is for you, but know tonight that God is calling. You know, if I could have the worship team come up, What's common between Jonah and Peter in Scripture is common with all of us, that we failed. <laughs> We've dropped the ball. We aren't perfect. So many of us, we don't feel equipped. But God in his grace, he still calls to Jonah, still calls to Peter, still called to me. He still calls to you. 
God in his grace calls us to him and then calls us out into the world. He calls us. There's a calling, there's a, a cargo, there's a burden, there's a weight of not just experiencing his grace, but giving him all the glory with our life. There's ways that he's going to have us go and paths that he's going to have us take in life. And again, that faith walk, it isn't always for the faint-hearted. Be lying if I said it ain't hard. But tonight, if we could just stand, we're going to go into worship. But I want to just speak to two different people tonight. Come on, as we stand and get ready to worship. First is those that feel overburdened. Feel like the, the, the weight of the world is on your shoulders like Atlas. Maybe it's you're carrying the, the weight of, of sin and shame. But maybe it's that, like Steph was talking about earlier. You've forgotten that God's grace still covers whatever weakness you have. That God is still strong in your weakness. You were weak when you first came to the cross, and guess what? We haven't made it yet. We still need God's grace. And maybe you're carrying the weight of trying to be good enough, as if you're trying to earn God's favor. Heard recently, it's like, it's like the voice. I don't really watch the show, but I, the analogy was powerful. We, we perform for God. We're waiting desperately for him to hit the button and spin his chair around, but he already spun the chair around. We don't have to perform. We don't have to desperately try to earn his favor. And maybe you're just carrying that weight tonight that he would say, put down. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Maybe you feel overburdened, but maybe, maybe you've been drifting. Maybe you know God's called you to whether it's a, a big calling, changing a zip code. Maybe it's a, a small calling, sharing the gospel with a coworker, whatever it might be. But you know that there's a call in your life and you've walked around it, you've ignored it, or you tried not to let God load it into your ship. If you're in one of those places, come on, that's why we don't just preach a sermon and walk away. We're going to go into worship. Come on, let this be a moment of prayer. Let this be a moment of reflection. If there's nothing on your mind or your heart right now, ask God. God, where do you need to work in me? None of us have arrived. There's always something in our blind spot. God, we ask you tonight, God, that you would do the work of miracles. God, that you would let faith arise in spite of what we see. God, that we won't be overwhelmed because in this moment, we look to you. Won't be overwhelmed by what's present in our heart. Won't be overwhelmed by circumstances around us because we look to you. We remember that you reign, you rule, you love us, and you're sovereign, God. And we worship you tonight. Come on, if you need prayer for anything, I'll be here. Amy's right here. We can pray for you. But let's spend this time worshiping God. Let it be a time of prayer, reflection, and what God wants to do in, in your heart tonight.